This is Mark Miller, host of An Innovator's Journey to DevOps. An Innovator's Journey is a series of interviews profiling software development thought leaders and DevOps practitioners. We highlight real people, real stories, and real solutions for building modern software. In today's journey, we talk with Rosalind Radcliffe, Distinguished Engineer at IBM, Chief Architect for DevOps in Enterprise Systems. Rosalind Radcliffe works with DevOps on mainframes. I caught up with her at the DevOps Enterprise Summit 2016 in San Francisco, and we talked about her background in technology, what she has worked on at IBM, and what she hopes to accomplish within the next year. Basic first question is, uh, did you do technology as a child? So I'm old enough that there wasn't a lot of technology when I was growing up. So uh, in my middle school class, we got access to computers, sort of. It was really a mainframe in the back end that we didn't know it was, but it was this thing that we could use this teletype for and get access to. When was this? Uh, hmm, 1979, maybe? Okay. 80? Right. Somewhere in there. Uh, in my high school, we had, we still had access to that, as well as the early Apples. Why Apple had to have been? We had something, some really early computer, um, and did some playing, and we did Space Invaders, and we did you know those kinds of things. Um, have you read Ready Player One? Have you seen that? We want to put that on your list. It's, he writes a novel that incorporates all of the games and TV show and music from the 1980s. Oh, everything is mentioned. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did I did computers when I was. I, I got to play with them because I enjoyed them, and they were easy. At school, where did this thing show up? At school. Um, I was in a eh, superior ability program, whatever. The kids over to the side, they didn't know what to do with right. because we, you know, we got bored too easily, so we could go do extra things. Um, I mean, I did math track as a kid, so we would go take math tests just mm -hmm. for the fun of it. Okay. A little strange, but so it was. It was fun and it was easy. So when I, actually, when I went to college, I did computer science because I thought that might be the um, easiest degree, mm -hmm. which seemed a little strange Where was to that? people. University of Florida. Florida. Yeah. yeah, one of the top thirteen, top thirteen computer science schools at the time. Mm -hmm. Nineteen eighty-seven is when I graduated. So the net hadn't really started yet. It wasn't on the radar at all. No. <laughs> no, no. This is long before you generally had computers at home. And my first computer had two floppy drives because mm -hmm. that's what it had. And I don't want to even think about how much memory it had because that would just be so depressing. I remember I had one of those too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, but it was, it was a toy. It was fun, and I, you know, I could play, and it was easy, and so that's why I did it. Did you know, I mean, when I first started doing it, I didn't know the power that was behind it, what it was capable of. How soon did you figure out that this thing is, this thing is pretty, pretty powerful? So I don't know that I really had a, a clue 
even when I started with IBM in some ways. I mean, I knew it was, it was powerful, but I didn't get the, I hadn't, I hadn't totally translated how much it really could run the world and how much it really was going to transform the way everybody, the way everybody thinks. I mean, I never would have imagined, you know, the iPhone. It, it, the concepts of that, it, it was the big system that was going to help improve business. It was, you know... So AS400, is that where you... I started on Z, actually. I started in... Well, it wasn't Z then. I started in ISPF development in IBM straight out of college, and it was... Z... It was uh, MVS XA at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah... <laughs> A lot older. What were you doing? ISPF development. I was hired into IBM to be a developer on our menuing system uh, and did that for a little while. Uh, it was, you know, I did development, I did test. I started, we started in the company, the assumption was you didn't know anything, which was probably true. Uh, so we had to go learn assembler and we had to go learn. PLX, because a lot of the IBM internal software is not actually written in a language that's externally available. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had to go learn PLX. So we did, uh, and that's what I did. I started there and, and got to learn how to use Z, well, it wasn't Z, but how to use the mainframe and how to do things on that. And then, you know, I've had lots of different jobs since then. I, I worked on the system 38 right before it became AS400, AS400 time as well. And, you know, done lots of different things, lots of different experiments. Do you remember the first time you heard about DevOps? I think not, not totally, but I think I, I, I don't know where it was. I do remember I heard DevOps and went, yeah, okay, that's, In some ways, that's nothing new, but maybe we can make something out of, mm -hmm. out of it, uh, because it's... I was in IBM for a long time in the Tivoli organization, so I did the op side, and then a, someone decided that I had the right skills to move into rational on the development side, mm -hmm. and so I'd spent a lot of time saying it's developer's problem, and then I get to go to the other side, and I can't say it's ops problem. That just doesn't work. And so when the term DevOps came about, it was really, you know, I've done ops, I've done dev, let's break down that silo. And I had been trying to break down those silos ever since, well, even before I moved into Rational, because we had to fix the problem. I actually did IBM SOA management strategy, and so the, in SOA management, we were crossing the boundaries between development and operations already, trying to get them to understand these were services we were deploying. We had to have the operational data in development to be able to understand it, to meter it, to manage it, all of those things. And so it actually kind of made sense to me. And I went, yeah, let's break down these walls. And so that's why I do a lot with DevOps, because it, it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the Z platform, which I care a lot about, I look at DevOps and go, that's a way of getting us out of the rut that we're in. Because uh, many people have just been doing development 
exactly the same way for the last 30 years. And unless the Z environment changes, we have a problem because kids don't want to do COBOL. And it's not that they don't want to do COBOL, it's that they don't want to use that green screen and they don't want to do waterfall development and they, they want to get something done fast and they want to see the value quickly. And none of that can't be done on Z, it's just not the way it's always been done. You're one of the few, if the one, that is recognized for uh, DevOps and mainframe in the same breath. <laughs> Have you drunk the Kool-Aid? Have you drunk the DevOps Kool-Aid? So I, I am definitely, I'm definitely one of the people who believe that DevOps has to matter on the mainframe side. And from my perspective, I, you know, the idea of breaking down the silos has always been the right answer. And I really do think the cultural shift, I, mean, I, I don't like the term DevOps, sort of, because it's really not Dev and Ops, it's really business and development and Q&A and operations, and it's everybody that has to get this transformation. Mm -hmm. So other than the word, absolutely, because taking Agile and Lean and applying it across the business is the right thing for all of our platforms and all of our businesses. So absolutely. And if I can get even a small percentage of all the Z customers to move, then you know I've done accomplished something. How large is that base for Z? Uh, I I have no clue other than what is it? Ninety-two of the top one hundred banks, one hundred of the top one hundred insurance companies. Um, you know, it's it's those mm -hmm. kind of numbers. I you know I don't really know how many. Um, how many total customers have Z, but it's everyone that's big is almost what sure. it boils down. Well, anyone that's big and has a need for a high transaction throughput something. So most manufacturing companies, car manufacturers, airline manufacturers, all of those have a need for high throughput, and so you see Z systems. If you're, uh, if you're a Google and you don't care about the transactions, it's a strange way to think about it, but a bank cares. Every single transaction has to complete and has to complete exactly once. Mm -hmm. But if you think about Google, it's huge, but if the transaction fails on three boxes, nobody knows. Right. So it, if you're huge and you have a transaction need, then pretty much you have Z or you have IBMI. You have one of the two. Using the term DevOps, and I have an issue with it myself, it seems to isolate security outside of that process. Security and audit and, and, and seem to be left out, which is one of the things that I try and get, at least the clients I talk to, I try and get them to understand they need to bring security in from the very beginning. They need to bring audit in from the very beginning. And especially in large-scale companies where the regulators and the auditors rule in many ways. There, there's so many regulations around financial transactions or insurance transactions or take your choice that you really need to bring the auditors, the security, everybody in from the very beginning so that they're bought in on the fact that actually this is better. Actually, they've got a better audit trail. 
actually you can do security scanning much earlier in the cycle and find the problem rather than you know at the very last minute when now you're causing the business to miss its deadline so I have a difficulty figuring out why it's so hard for people to understand that security begins at the beginning with everybody else because everyone I talk to says the same thing who's not agreeing with this I don't know that anybody's I'm sure there's somebody not agreeing, but I think in many companies, the way they think about security is separate enough, yeah. and it's a separate group, and it's a separate responsibility, and so they're just not tied in. And so it's, it's an organizational tradition? It's, a, it's an organizational, it, actually, it may be entirely an organizational wow. issue in some, in some organizations. Mm -hmm. In some organizations, it's just they want to be different. I, I have run into many organizations in which the, the security team says, we have to do things differently because we're security. And I'm like, eh, why? If you're different, if you're separate, then you're slowing things down or you're, you're not getting your data as fast. Uh, the other problem a lot of times, I know I work with companies who pay somebody to do their security scans, to do their whatever, because they have to do certifications, got it. But when they send code to do it, it's going to take a day. My DevOps pipeline doesn't work if I'm sending it off for a day. So they have to figure out ways in this pipeline to let the pipeline go, but send it over there and, and hope that it comes back approved. Mm -hmm. So there are things like that that just have to get fixed. We have to figure out better ways to scan, better ways to get information faster and identify the errors or identify the possible errors. And if we do it sooner in smaller batches, eh, I think we can help. I'm, I have a difficulty in general with the word scan. It seems to me that if we do it properly, it is part of the process itself. And you're shaking your head yes to that. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, so when I say scan, I, th I, if we do enforcement of the code in the first place to say you shouldn't do these kinds of things, if you have code rules in the first place that identify that's just a bad practice, the problem is developers are going to write code and you've got to check it at some point in time. And even if you tell them that's a bad practice, you may end up needing to scan their code. Now, I think it should be scanned before it's delivered. I mean, let's check it as early as possible. A lot of people say that slows it down or take your choice of reaction. Somewhere really early in the process, you need to look at the code and understand. But there's also the process of scanning the system. So a lot of, you know, not, you not only have to scan the code, but you have to run it and you have to see, does it run? Does it have these vulnerabilities? Can I break into it? So there are different things you have to do from security standpoint. And I think that that should basically be all automatable yes. so that there is no need for a user to participate in this other than to look at the errors to fix them. Yeah, we've actually talked to people, our customers, that will set up automated rules. Yeah. And that way, if you've got, say, a thousand instances that have to be checked, then you only have to manually check 200 of those once you automate yeah. the process. Yeah, and we, I mean, internally in IBM, we do automated security scans on, on source code, and it's 
depending on the team, it's really early in the cycle or it's later. I prefer that really early in the cycle. Uh, but it's, you know, you've got to decide which of these rules are real and which aren't. And that's the other problem with security scanning. It's not a perfect science by any stretch of the imagination. There are things that could be a problem if, and so they get flagged. Right. And that, that actually frustrates development more than anything else because now I've got these errors that really aren't errors because they really aren't errors in most cases. Sometimes they are, but and, and unless we can clean up some of that, we end up with developers not trusting or not wanting to, or and we end up with this security's causing my problem, they're slowing me down, and that, that kind of mentality we have to help transition people. And you know, if we just have security people on the team, if we can just break down those barriers so that people aren't so thinking it's different, if everybody gets the right mentality, we're all better off. Using Gene's terminology, how much unplanned, unscheduled work are you having to deal with? I'm probably a really bad example, oh. but that's probably like most of what I do. Oh. Most of what I... I'm, I'm a bad example. I, I spend my time virtually totally interrupt-driven with what customer issue has hit now, what issue has hit, what's the problem coming in, and or well, I'm with a client and therefore I'm going to ignore all that and I'm going to be with the client for the day. So in that case, I don't deal with anything but that, but then some other client's going to back up in the, in the email inbox. So, so I'm a bad example, but if I look at my development team, I would say it's still too much. I, we don't many of the teams, there's too much requirement to deal with other things that come up, other issues that come up. So I, many of our teams are not, not to the point of being able to isolate this group is, is going to handle the customer situations and the rest of them actually get to do feature work. It's, it's hard to do and I think one of the reasons it's harder to do when you're building a product that you sell is it's a product you sell, not a product you run. Mm -hmm. So you have a different set of issues in that kind of challenge. Uh, and in, in some ways, I think we, we care too much. I don't think you can ever care too much, but I think our focus on making sure all of our clients are successful also means the development team is more willing to jump that customer's having a problem, we're going to yeah. go solve the problem. And that's a great thing, but it also means they jump too often. One of the questions I really like to ask, because it opens up some doors, what's the coolest project you ever worked on? Or the one you're most proud of? So I've, I've done a lot of unusual things at IBM, and when I was very early in my career, I actually got to do common user access, or CUA, our user interface standards. And that actually got me into the responsibility of doing an IEEE standard for user interface as a kid. It was, it was kind of fun, but it meant I was working with Microsoft and DEC and 
systems that aren't around anymore and sun and whatever to come up with what can we do for a user interface what can we do that is standard and so the work in that um, my favorite one is control C control X control V because Apple had Apple C control V mm -hmm. and IBM had control shift insert right. we had some <laughs> whatever I remember so, that. So there were two, there were competing standards, and so as part of my work, we standardized on control C, control V, control X. And so, in some ways, that's the most fun because it, it has made a huge difference in everybody's life to have an absolute standard across Windows, Mac, everything. I mean, and it's there today. So that, you know, that's real. Um, Probably the most fun has been actually making things work in customer shops. So I get to go in and deploy and make something happen and, and make a change. And I've done that in a lot of shops. And so that's been that's been um, fun. Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's not fun. It's too many hours. But it's really fun in the end because it's really there and you can see it and you can see the value. So those are the those are my my two extremes of fun. This is. You know, we talked briefly last year, this is the second year uh, where it does right now. When I talk to you next year at this time, what do you hope to have accomplished by the time I talk to you next year? I hope that every single mainframe customer has started to move to modern tools and modern practices for their development. Mm -hmm. And they've started the transition to service-sifying, my made-up word, their back-end systems. We absolutely have to have people move. I, I walk into customer shops. I started in ISPF development 29 years ago. And I walk into a customer shop and the development process looks exactly the same. And there's nothing on the planet that's exactly the same except that. So it's got to change. And if, if we can see people moving, and, and that's, that's why I did the Git work. I mean, it makes no sense. As an IBMer, I'm responsible for building a set of development tools, and we build Rational Team Concert. It's modern development practices for Z. It's a product we sell. It works great. We've got a number of clients who've migrated to it. It's end-to-end -end support. But we can't get, we've got a whole bunch of clients who say, nah, what I've got now, it just works. Why should I move? And I think the Git, I, I did, I wanted the Git answer to kind of say, okay, you're not moving because it just works. And why should you move to RTC when you're doing Git in a distributed space? Well, I just got rid of that problem. So now, now what's your excuse? Hopefully between now and then, we'll have solved a whole bunch of the other excuses they come out with, and we'll have them moving. And we'll have them moving to RTC, or we'll have them moving to Git, or whatever, modern SEM and modern build solutions, so they can really do DevOps for the Z environment. Is there a cherry pick somewhere people could start with? Well, the different people need to start in different places is part of the problem. Some people are just so far behind that, that there's just too much change and so in some cases they start with a modern IDE and they start mm -hmm. start getting, you know, 
I will always cringe at the developers that tell me it takes more clicks to do their job now because they have to press a mouse. Count the number of function keys they press to do the task. It's, they're not more clicks than function keys, but they didn't have to press a mouse before. Okay, I'm tired of this. So, so there are a lot of different places to change. I think some customers will just start with the SEM. They can, mm -hmm. SEM and build. A lot of them start with deployment. They try and fix the cross-platform deployment process. They, they start in different places. Everybody's got to start where it makes sense to start for them. Where's their biggest business value? At what time, though, in this timeline of transition, do we allocate the name dinosaur on somebody and say, it's hopeless? Well, it's never hopeless. Hey, let's take hopeless off the table. That it's not going to happen. If it doesn't happen, I doubt they're going to stay on Z. I think the problem mm -hmm. that we have here is if you're, I mean, they're going to stay on Z because they don't have a choice, right. but it's going to be that back-end system that they hate because they can't make changes and they don't know how to make changes and they don't have anyone left that knows how the system works. And it's just going to sit there and it's going to run and it's going to be a key critical business process and they're all going to be scared or they're going to transition and they're going to realize it's just a big server and it happens to be running my core business process but it's just a big server and kids can do development for it and anyone else can do development for it. It's, it that, I was going to ask that based on that, is the transition going to be a generational thing? It, it may be. It, it, it may boil down to it's going to take the next generation to make this happen. But the problem with waiting that long, that's why I say I want it this year, a lot of companies are losing the core skill that knows how their SEM and build works today. And I, I run into many companies in which the last person in the company that knows this is going to retire in a year. So we got to move. Well, I'd rather have people move when it's not the last person in the company that knows anything about this process. In some companies, there's no one left. We there's could, no corporate memory to... Th there's no one left that knows how their source code is built. They just cross their fingers. It doesn't yeah. fail. And... Yeah... This is your business running on this system. Now, is this an industry problem, really, that you're seeing across the industry? Wow. It, it, is, a, it is a problem. And, and in Z, it's remarkably a problem because <laughs> we've got module. The best thing about the mainframe is a module compiled 40 years ago will still run. The worst thing about the mainframe mm -hmm. is a module compiled 40 years ago will still run. So it's a great platform from the standpoint of continuing, but you don't get all the value out of the latest hardware running those old things. And because we don't have the automated testing generally, if you go into clients, they haven't done the automated testing. They're afraid to change. So if we can get the automated testing in there, then they can be more comfortable at doing more modernization, at, at breaking down the monolith and, and start making it services. If I had the automated testing, I could do that. So there, there's lots of opportunity, 
but you're not going to do it if you're in a waterfall development process and you don't do automated testing you're not going to take the time to start splitting up the monolith because it's too risky microservices in replacement of a mainframe or with me on the mainframe on the mainframe take the existing cobol and just split it up you don't have to rewrite it it provides a business function it provides a business value now some people are writing new things on the mainframe in java that's fine no reason it no reason not to. It runs there just fine. So you can run Java next to COBOL. Not a problem. But you've got this millions of lines of code that provide business value. Why rewrite for no value? If you're, if you're taking a section and you need to change it entirely, fine. Write it in Java and run it there. Not a problem. But if, if all you're doing is rewriting it to put it in Java, there's no new business value. There's no reason to do it. So... We need to deal with the fact that there's that much legacy sitting there that is of that much value that people need to take advantage of. Where does continuous integration, continuous delivery fit in the mainframe scheme? Exactly the same way it fits everywhere else with a small caveat. Um, so one of the problems actually I have with the conference is the idea that delivery, the number of deliveries is is a measure of value. That's genes. Yes. yes, and that's the one problem I have because, and it took me a while to figure out where the, the disconnect was, but every company has a calendaring service. Every company has one. Mm -hmm. It gives them holidays, it gives them, we run on the Gregorian calendar. How often do I need to change that service? business need to change that service. Once every couple of years when a new technology comes out that I need a new interface to it. So I need to add a web service, then I need to add a REST interface. Why would I deliver changes to that more frequently? There's no va business value in changing that service. So what does frequency of delivery matter? It really matters what is the service and what is the business function you're providing. If you're providing something that's based on, you know, marketing something and you want to change the market, you obviously need to change it faster. If you've got new government regulations because of the finance industry, you've got to be able to change fast. Absolutely. And so being able to deliver fast is critical. But whether or not you have to deliver, that's based on business decision and business value. So most of the clients in the Z space are probably going to end up doing continuous delivery to pre-prod. And then delivery to prod when the business needs it. In some cases, it may just be they get to over time. And so I don't freak out the Z customers. Not today. But they'll get to the point of maybe delivering every day or maybe delivering every, you know, a lot of them are already delivering every week, but delivering on a frequency that makes sense for the business in smaller batches rather than grouping up the batches for the monthly release. Because grouping up for the monthly release is just bad idea. Let's stop that. But business value needs to be the driver of delivery. And I get... Lots of distributed things. My mobile phone, 
I, I know that you're going to update the apps a bunch of times because there's new thing or new advertisement or a web page needs to change frequently. Those are going to deliver very frequently. But the back-end services, if you build an API right, why am I changing it? I'm, I need to change it for business reason, but otherwise, I don't need to do a lot of deliveries. And I, that's why we need multi-speed IT, and that's why we need to think about the fact that different things are going to go at different speeds for business reason. <laughs>